by the Numbers Basketball. Welcome back to another episode. I'm your host, Jacob Birkinshaw, and this week we're going to be building up the season by looking at what young players can make the leap and how they might do it. Let's get into it. So, I'm really excited for this episode because I think this is something a lot of people are interested in. I think the idea of, you know, what players can improve. The most improved player award is hardly the holy grail of awards, but for these young players, it's it's something that we look for and it's something to a certain extent we expect. But we have to we don't really see the tangible. We don't talk about what tangible ways these players can improve. So what I've tried to do is go through a lot of the um, players in the last few drafts, going back to the 2015 draft of Cat, Devin Booker. I thought I'd stop there because you go before that, you get a 2014 draft and Embiid and Jokic, are they're already stars. They're already um, superstars or below superstar level. Go back to 2013, you've got Giannis, obviously the back-to-back MVP. It's not really uh, as fun, I don't think, because they're not really young players anymore. Most of these guys that I'm going to be looking at are going to be under 25 when this season finishes. Some of them are going to be much younger than that. But yeah, I'm looking for... We're going to try to do this quite quick fire because we're looking through quite a few players. I'm trying to get through 21 young players and the rules I've set for myself are it cannot be a new skill. So it cannot be Ben Simmons gets a three-point shot. It cannot be, you know, um, something like Bam gets a three-point shot or Trey becomes good on defense, something like that. Like we can't have just something that is totally out of what could happen in a real world. Sorry, Trey. And we're going to make sure that these skills are tangible. We're not going to be looking at, you know, become a better leader, show more effort. How can they actually do it? Like, what is it on defense or on offense that they could actually do or actually improve on that they've shown some life in that could be a, to a certain extent, a force multiplier? If not a force multiplier, you'll see with some of these guys, I've tried to lay out what level do I think they're working at now? What do I think their peak level could be and in the short term what steps can they take this season and next season to do it some of these guys are going to be we're going to go through very quick rapid fire some we're going to go a bit deeper into so first ones we're going to go to are the stars of the last draft class we're not going to worry about 2020 we don't know who those guys are let them have their rookie season see what happens and those are Zaron Williamson and Ja Morant. We're going to go very quickly through these guys because they were rookies. We should be looking for them to improve. For Zion, we have a very small sample size. All I can really say is conditioning. Right now, I think a healthy Zion is coming in at either a sub-all-star or an all-star level player. I think his peak level is probably an MVP level player. I think... That's a fair peak level 
for Zion. I don't know if he can reach above MVP, like guys like, you know, LeBron above MVP, Pete Durant above MVP kind of level. I don't know if that's the ceiling for Zion. Like I said, we have a very small sample size. Very tough to say. Right now, I'm saying somewhere between sub-all-star and all-star when healthy. Conditioning needs to improve. And peak level that I see for Zion is MVP level. For Jar, it is basically, can Jar stop trying to make plays on defense? Because his size and slender frame mean, obviously, he will be limited on defense. He won't be a huge plus at any point in his career. You know, he's not Gobert or Draymond or Kawhi. So it's more, he needs to play defense more conservatively and try to fit into the defensive system in Memphis. Because right now, from what I'm seeing, he is trying to make plays too often on defense and getting lost in the process. And that's fine. He's a rookie. Like I said, that's why we're going through them quickly because these are things he should be looking to improve. Beyond that, um, 25% of his shots were in what we're going to call the dead range. And that is between the restricted area and the free throw line. The dead range is because this is the point where counterintuitively, it's just about the most inefficient place on the floor. Long twos are probably probably just beat it out, but this area is the most inefficient place that you would think wouldn't be that bad. That's because the restricted area, obviously, you're very close to the basket. That's the the area. Layups are still number one with dunks. But when you get out here a little bit more, it's very congested and you're still dealing with the Goliaths on the floor. You're still dealing with guys like Rudy Gobert like, you know, Clint Capella, Stephen Adams, these big bodies in the paint, you're still very close and field goal percentage just kind of takes this little dip around the basket, but slightly further out than the restricted line before leveling back off as you get into mid-range shots, long twos, three-point shots, you know, Steph Curry range, Lillard range, whatever you want to say. He needs to cut that out. He's taken 25% of his shots from that range. Stop that. And his three-point attempts as a rookie were about 50% of what the league average would be. That needs to go up, obviously. But his three-point development should happen because he's shown signs that he can do it. He has indicators that though he might never be an elite three-point shooter, he should become at least league average or above league average. And obviously his turnovers were a bit of an issue. That should drop going forward. He is a rookie. Let's move on. Another one that I want to go through quickly, Luka Doncic, because I already think he's playing at a low MVP level. I think his peak is MVP plus. His peak is the best player in the league, obviously. The only real mark of improvement that is really tangible is how inconsistent his shot percentages are from most spots on the floor. His shot isn't great. Some of that is the difficulty of the shots he's taking. That will improve over time, hopefully in better teams. You hope that is going to get better. But it's not great. His corner shooting is indicative that it's not great. His free throw shooting is indicative that it's not great. That needs to improve. 
let's go on to some guys that are there's more to talk about but still i want to go through them quite quickly and that is first d'angelo russell right now i have d'angelo playing at about a starter level what can he really do well his three-point shooting is about league average however his mid-range shooting is quite a bit above league average for that position so i would be looking for him to what i would call a brook lopez where the three-point shot can kind of explode out of nowhere because we're just what we're doing is we're taking what he can do at about 20 feet and we're taking that back to like 23 feet and nine inches so it's a small small increase in his shooting range it's you know taking a step back taking two steps back that's something which is realistic over the next couple of years he could do that could take his shooting percentages up to 38 39 percent that's very important for him because he doesn't get to the basket well he is never really going to pressure the defense as an elite scorer he needs to find ways to play his scoring in a more efficient way threes layups free throws he does not generate free throws nearly enough i don't know if that's ever going to be an area of the floor where he can really improve i don't I've, right now i think he's playing near a ceiling i think his ceil- his level right now is about starter level and his peak level is probably sub all-star now he has made all-star games and this is something i want to touch on these levels are more generalizations so if i say someone i see someone's peak as an all-star that does not mean they cannot be an all nba player at some point in their career that means i see their general level being kind of perennially in the all-star discussion perennially a top 25 ish player and then maybe there's a year where someone gets injured and they make the third team all nba it's not saying those aren't possibilities it's saying what's a general estimate so for d'angelo russell he has been an all-star i don't think he was playing at an all-star level objectively when he was named an all-star it's more a factor of playing in the east playing in the weaker conference he would never have made that obviously in the west he's not going to make it playing in the west now that's very unlikely and i don't think his play is going to warrant it i think he's very near his ceiling did I say Jar Morant? Actually, so that's D'Angelo Russell. Come if I said Jar Morant. So right now, I think Jar Morant, just take a step back just to lay it out again. I think he's playing at a sub all star level. I think he can reach strong all NBA level. I think Jar Morant can probably at his peak be a top 10 player in the league. I don't know because of his size, his lack of elite shooting. He has definitely got the athleticism, the pop to go beyond his physical limitations, his frame. I think top 10 player is about his ceiling. I don't think he's ever going to challenge for a top five player, top three player in the league, like I could see someone like Zion or Luca challenging for. So he's next two. So we've gone through Zion, Jar, Luca, and D'Angelo Russell. These next two I want to talk about together. And those are Miles Turner, and Demantis Sabonis. Right now, these guys have some quite interesting things in that some of their improvements are quite similar, and in other ways they're quite different. So for Miles Turner, 
he needs to the same with D'Angelo Russell and Sabonis. They need to expand that mid-range because right now their mid-range shooting is good. They need to take a step back, expand that to the three-point line. That's something I expect most players who have this 40%, 42%, 45% mid-range shot to be doing in the next few years is ex- taking that step back, expanding that range. Even if it's on slightly lower volume, it's going to help their game. It's going to help them become more scalable players, players that can fit around better teammates. And Miles Turner and Demancer Bonus, they both need to be playing this drop coverage center role. I think Turner probably does it better as a shot blocker. He's more athletic. Sabonis is a more cerebral player. He's definitely a better playmaker. Turner, kind of his peak on offense is probably as a spot-up shooter. That's probably where he would provide the most value at his peak on offense, whereas Sabonis is a bit more of a passing hub and and adding some shooting. His playmaking has come on leaps and bounds these last few years, but he probably doesn't have the vertical pop ever of someone like Turner and whether that holds him back I'm not sure I think Turner would probably fit better on a better team if he's able to make that mid-range expansion but I think Sabonis would be better in a vacuum and because of that right now I have Turner as a starter level player who can become a sub all-star level player and when I say sub all-star I mean a clear top 50 player so starter is closer to influx between 50th and 100th kind of player like clearly would be a starter on just about every team but would probably not be a top three player on a good team whereas for Sabonis right now I say he's a sub all-star level player he did make an all-star game but the same as D'Angelo Russell I don't think he's close to being one of the 25 best players in the league but I think his peak is an all-star level player. I think that is a potential place that Sabonis's game could go to if he's able to Im- continue his improvements as a playmaker, as a shooter, and as a defender. He has been making some solid ground there where I didn't think that would happen, honestly, coming into this. I did not think I would come out thinking, actually, Sabonis will probably be able to hold his own on defense in the right system. Very much a kind of... The peak I see for Sabonis is a passing Brook Lopez. That's kind of the top end of what I see for Sabonis in a broad stroke sense. But yeah, between those two guys, one of them needs to get traded, honestly, because I don't think... I think they can fit together on offense. On defense, they cannot work together, I don't think. The next one is Carl Anthony Towns. And... He's someone I would say is somewhere between an all-star and a low all-NBA level player right now. I think his peak is probably strong all-NBA level player, top 10 player, maybe above that as kind of a weak MVP level player, top 7. But to do that, I think what it's really going to come down to, because honestly, on offense, I can't see really any holes in his game. I really can't. He's taking a lot of step-back threes. He's taking a lot of threes off the bounce. He's a great passer. 
great at drawing fouls. He's a good post-up player. I mean, in this era, how much does that matter? But it's just, it, there's an inelasticity to his offensive game that you get him into the playoffs. I think in the right system, he's too big. He has too many quivers to his bow in the playoffs. There's just too much for, I think, most teams to be able to stop him. However, on defense, obviously, this is a whole different story. His lateral movement is poor. His hands, instincts are poor. He's not strong enough against other bigs. And he has to kind of play, again, like Sabonis and Turner, a drop coverage big man role, which, as we have seen, drop coverage big men are susceptible to good shooting teams. And I think Carl anthony Towns is very similar. What I would like to see, honestly, is lower body improvement, lower body workout to strengthen his core, strengthen his legs, to be able to, even though he won't ever be a good defensive player, by getting to a point where he doesn't just get muscled off by bigger players in the post, he can start adding value. And by defending the post well, he will become a positive player because defending in the paint is so valuable. It adds so much on the defensive end. Even if he is a bit of a sieve in, you know, get him out in space, similar to a lot of other big men, he'll be a sieve out in space, but you get him into the post, he can defend well. That's kind of where I see Carl Anthony Towns going as a defensive player, where he can create marginal value where no he'll never be a good player he'll never be as valuable as even a good guard defender I don't think maybe close to what a good guard defender can offer in terms of value but it's it, once he's once his defense isn't taking anything away from his offense it's like it's worth double like say he's losing a point every 100 possessions on his defense suddenly when he's a point plus on his defense, it's worth more. It's two. He's never losing value. And that's what I think will take Carl Anthony Towns into the next tier and be a clear All-NBA player, possibly a top 10 player. Last one in this tier that aren't too interesting is Jamal Murray. And the reason I say not too interesting is because we've kind of seen what Jamal Murray should be from what he was in the playoffs and what he was in the bubble. Bubble Murray is what we would like to see. That's kind of, that's the level above what we're looking at here where, you know, we take something improves that you can't fully predict. Like we would like to say these guys, like with Carl Anthony Towns, like a few others, we would like to see big physical improvements, strength wise, fitness wise. But with Murray, we saw it, and we saw what that can do to a player. By him adding 10, 15 pounds of muscle, we saw his rim attack getting much better, drawing more fouls. The only thing I would like to see from Murray is what I'm going to call the morification of his offense. And that is because about over 40% of his shots were taken in the area between the restricted area and the three-point line. I think that should be closer to 30% in an ideal world. 
And I think that would add a lot of value offensively, especially around someone like Jokic if Murray can get into more advantageous positions. Right now, I see Murray kind of being, I think, conservative from the bubble. Right now, I see him as just below all-star level, though he was performing at an all-star level in the bubble. And I see him, his peak somewhere between all-star and all-NBA, like bouncing between those two levels, between being a top 25 and a top 15 player. Now, let's get into some players that are we doing for time? We're not doing too bad, actually. We've gotten through eight guys quite quickly. Only 13 left, but these 13 are more interesting, I think. Next up, John Collins. Again, it comes down to morification of his offensive game. He is taking too many shots outside of the paint and he needs to start taking more threes because his threes look like a good weapon he is a very underrated scorer in this league and I think that's a place where John Collins can really separate himself as no maybe you know I I pencil him in for small growth on defense I don't think it's worth really hanging your hat on John Collins eventually becoming a very good defender that's very unlikely to happen, but I think he can become a slight positive eventually because he has the physical tools, he has the size, I don't think he has the instincts, but he's getting better. It comes down to, can he start taking more threes? Can he supercharge an offense and become one of the better scorers in the league? I think that is where John Collins can go because he's so bouncy, he's so big. Getting into the paint, he's a great finisher and being able to take threes like that, suddenly you're opening up a lot for the rest of your team. Right now, I see him as about a starter-level player, and I see his peak as an all-star-level player. And that's mostly because, without being a good playmaker, which there aren't really any indicators for that, so I'm not going to go down that route, but without being a good playmaker, it's very unlikely that John Collins can really become a a high, high high-level offensive player, even though he can become a great scorer. And defensively, obviously, if my ceiling for him is a slight positive, I don't see him getting too much higher than an all-star at his peak. Next up, we're going to go for one of the more divisive guys, I think, and one I think I'm going to get more pushback on for my assessment, and that is Donovan Mitchell. So... Mitchell is an interesting situation because I expect organic improvement to his on-ball playmaking and I think that should be expected because he's learning a lot of the reads as he goes along and I wasn't prepared I don't think for how good of a mid-range high volume mid-range shooter he is he is a very high level like 45 percent from a lot of spots in the mid-range and higher than that, which makes his game very good in the playoffs. It's a robust offensive skill set, and it's very hard. The more robust your offensive skill set is, the harder it is for the good defenses you will play in the playoffs to take things away from you. However, he is still taking about 48% of his shots from that area between the restricted area and the three-point line that the you know the anti-mori ball era area and 
He is neither elite as a finisher because of his size. I don't think he can ever be elite because of his size. He has good wingspan, good athleticism. I think he's near his peak as a finisher. Maybe he can improve his skill, his touch around the basket marginally. That would be nice. Um, And as a three-point shooter, he is a bit above average. But again, he's not elite. There aren't the indicators to say he can be elite, even though he just came off one of the great seven-game samples of shooting ever in the playoffs. Like that first round against Denver is one of the best three-point shooting performances there has been in a single series. But the indicators there from his whole career are not that he can be elite. Hopefully he'll prove me wrong and become an elite three-point shooter. But because of that, and because of how much he takes in the mid-range, I would like to see him do more in finishing and in the three-point line to really maximize. Again, I don't think getting too much lower, I would like to see his mid-range shooting come down to maybe 30-35%, like a third of his shots coming in the non-Mori areas of the floor, I think would be good because he is elite there. And the more you force defenses to pressure you across the floor, the more you open up for yourself and the rest of your team because you're stretching them much thinner. I do worry that Mitchell is closer to his ceiling than to his floor. I don't know how much more there is for him to expand his game apart from as a playmaker. He can get better, but I wonder at this point, given that he will be closer to 24 or he will be 24 when the season ends, how much more there is for him to do in terms of clear upgrades. Defensively, I think he's already a mild positive, but I think he probably can't get more than that at his size. And I think that's fine. I think he is kind of maximizing his physical tools on defense. And for someone his size, you know, barely over six foot, that's incredible to be a positive player. You look at guys like Trey Young, you look at some other players at that size, you know, Damian Lillard, who are not really close to being positive players. Not that Damian Lillard or Trey Young are similar because Trey is much worse, but for Mitchell to be a slight positive is tribute to just how much effort and how he's maximizing his skill set. But I don't think there's much room left there to grow. His shooting and playmaking can improve. And I think right now I have him as a lower tier all-star player. And I think his ceiling is closer to around all-NBA level. But if he was a perennial all-star candidate, but never really challenging for that top five, top six, seven, eight guards in the league... That wouldn't surprise me either. I do think Mitchell is closer to his ceiling than he is to his floor. Another guy I'll probably get pushed back on for thinking he's closer to his ceiling than he is to his floor is Shea Gilgis Alexander. Now, Shea is a very smooth player. Like that's something that really stuck out to me is he's got good handle, he's good at getting to his spots, he's long. He's he doesn't pop as an athlete, but you know he can hold his own on the floor. He can play make. 
he tries on defense. I wonder that he's closer to his ceiling than his floor because everywhere I see, I don't think he can ever be an elite shooter. I don't think he can ever be an elite playmaker. And I don't think he can be much more than he is right now on defense because of lack of explosion, strength, physical tools. Obviously, he can improve his body. That can keep improving. He's still young. He's going to be 22 this year. Still a young player. There's still a lot of room for him to grow physically. But I think his offensive skill set is probably, I don't want to say limited, but I think we're looking at him as more of a smooth scorer, is how I would describe him, than an explosive player. Like I think playmaking can improve. I think shooting can improve and his defense can improve and those marginal gains would take him get take him to the next level. But I don't know what the ceiling is for that ultimately for Shea. And I worry he might be closer to that than we would like. Right now I have him as a sub all-star player. I think he can become an all-star level player. And again, that's that doesn't mean he would never make an All-NBA team. That just means, on the whole, All-Star is about his peak. And I think challenging for that is about his peak. Someone else that's really stuck out to me in that way as kind of almost a bigger Shea is Brandon Ingram. Again, a very smooth player. He had a jump last year. And what I would more like to see from him is a consolidation of that growth as a shooter, that growth as a playmaker, that would be what I'm looking for from Brandon Ingram to not regress in either of those areas is, I think, more important than making an immediate jump now. The th- the thing I would like to see from Ingram and Shea, because of their light bodies, because of their kind of long, skinny frames, is lower body improvement. Again, we're going to keep coming back to this because it's one of the big areas where a lot of young players can improve and it's one of the underrated things that helps take players when they reach their prime it's one of the distinguishing factors between their prime and their younger level is this body improvement and particularly in the lower body because that provides a strong foundation your power comes from your lower body it comes from your core your upper body is obviously important for muscling but for finding deep position in the post or just not getting pushed off the line. Like when you're dribbling to not get driven out of the paint by stand-up defenders, it takes that lower body control, that, that core strength. That's one thing I would really like to see from Shea and Ingram. The same thing as Shea though, I think Ingram is right now sub all-star level right now, but closer to real all-star level than Shea. I think Ingram was, it was difficult to pinpoint exactly where I had him currently. Top 30 player right now. And that's assuming the health of people like Steph and KD and in a kind of a vacuum looking across NBA history. And I think Ingram's ceiling is again around an all-star level player. Maybe making all-NBA team, maybe not. And for these guys, I want them to prove me wrong. I think at least a handful of these people come the end of the season are going to make me look stupid because they have taken 
a jump that I did not see and that I said, oh, yeah, they're going to be an all-star level player at their peak and then they make the All-NBA team next year and take a huge jump. That That's wonderful. That's what I would love to see from some of these players. It's just I'm trying to be more conservative. I'm trying to think, right, what tangible thing can they improve? What clear route do they have to get better currently? Instead of just saying, you know, can Carl Anthony Towns become good on defense? No, let's not worry about that. Because, yes, it would be lovely if he did, but I'm not betting on it given that he's going to be 25 this year. I'm not betting on him taking that kind of jump. Next guy, Darren Fox. He has a lot of room to grow, I think, but that all starts with can he make the jump as a shooter? His shooting is wildly inconsistent. His first year was very bad. His second year was very good. Last year, very bad again. The indicators are not there. Honestly, as a free throw shooter, he's below average. As a three-point shooter, as a mid-range shooter, he is below average across the board. It's just, please reach an average level. If you can reach an average level, suddenly his speed opens up suddenly his ability to get to the cup because teams have to play him a bit more. They have to go over screens in the pick and roll. It becomes a much, his speed becomes much deadlier to teams. So that's, I think, how you unlock some of his better skills. I think he's looking good as a playmaker. Every year he has improved, I think, as a playmaker. Right now, I think he is at a good level. I think defensively, again, he's never going to be a real star defender I don't think or add a huge amount of value as a six foot three point guard but he's lightning quick and that speed should enable him to have a slightly higher defensive ceiling if he puts the effort in of someone like Donovan Mitchell but right now similar to Mitchell right now I have Darren Fox sub all-star level top 50 player I think his peak if he keeps developing, if he can get a average three-point shot, I think he does have the potential to be an all-NBA-level player. And it's not like it's impossible. Right now, his three-point shooting for his career is about 33%. He only needs to improve that a couple ticks. It's there. As a mid-range shooter, he's in the high 30s, which is not good. That's a much worse indicator than someone like Donovan Mitchell, who is shooting in, you know, 45%, which is why I just want to see Fox become average at shooting threes. I don't think like some of these guys, he needs to expand the range because he has good percentages on his mid range. He doesn't, he needs to focus on improving just his three point shooting, just his ability behind the line and then his pick-and-roll ability, it will be a force multiplier to his pick-and-roll ability. And can he become an all-star, all-NBA-level player? I'm I'm torn whether I think all-star or all-NBA-level player. I'm going to... I've already said all-NBA-level player, but now I think about it again, I might be overestimating it just because I quite like his skill set and I think his speed adds, but obviously that's not going to stick as he gets older. He's going to need more skill and he may go the way of someone like 
like a Westbrook in the sense that as the athleticism declines, the lack of pure skill in as a shooter is going to hurt him. That's a real possibility. I'm hoping that De'Aaron Fox can just develop that and maintain a good three-point shooting level. That's all. Next up, DeAndre Ayton, who I think has real room to grow here. He's shown good growth as a defender, particularly as a big... He's a huge, huge specimen. You know, he's built like David Robinson. He's very quick. He's, in a lot of ways, he has the kind of the physical abilities of a wing in a seven-foot frame. And he has gotten his block percentages have like doubled this year. He is getting to his spots. He's definitely stronger. I would like to see that strength go up, though. And I would, I think the big thing is just drawing fouls. That's all it really comes down to. He's drawing fouls as a sophomore at a lower rate than he was as a rookie, which seems inconceivable. Like he's improved defensively. He has improved, like his mid range is looking more consistent. And so, and he's starting to take threes, which is good that he's expanding his range and, you know, adding what we, or I say, the inelastic aspect, the robustness to his offensive skill set. He's a scorer, obviously. He's never going to really be a playmaker. He hasn't added anything like that to his game. So I'm not seeing that in his future. But it's drawing fouls. That's basically what it comes down to. He attacks the rim very strong. He is, you know, 73% in the restricted area. Excellent, excellent level. That is, you know, Giannis, Zion kind of level in the restricted area. What you would like to see from a big man, it's then converting that to drawing fouls. Because last year, Aiton averaged um, 18 and 12, say 18 and 11. If DeAndre Ayton drew fouls at the rate of a normal big man, what we would expect a big man to draw for the amount of shots he takes, DeAndre Ayton could have averaged 22 and 11 last year. That is within the realm of possibility. If we scale that back, we're still talking about a 20-plus point scorer just from drawing more fouls. And, yeah, I don't understand why that isn't happening. I think... He just needs to, again, improve lower body strength to really muscle into position and to take that position from defenders. And that alone should give him that jump. Right now, I have him as a sub all-star level player. And I see his ceiling as a clear all-NBA level player. Don't know if I'm ready to go to top 10 player in the league, but I do think he can become a clear all-NBA level player. He has all the talent in the world compared to other big men, you know, who are in that kind of tier. We think of um, Kat, Jokic, Embiid, AD, if you want to put him in that situation, Gobert. In terms of what DeAndre Ayton can be good at, there isn't a reason to think he can't have the ceiling of some of those guys. But it's can it be the upper end of that ceiling or will it be closer to all-star ceiling? I'm going to go lump somewhere in the middle and go for a all-NBA level player, but not really a top 10 player. 
Next up, someone I was interested looking at, Jalen Brown. Jalen Brown is shockingly really poor at finishing. Like, I thought, you know, his size, he's going to be excellent. The numbers are going to reflect that. The film is going to reflect that. It doesn't. His finishing, for someone of his size, strength, and athleticism, very poor. Honestly. But I think he's a bit underrated as a shooter. I think Jalen Brown's, the idea of Jalen Brown is this kind of bruising guy. It's kind of underplaying that as a shooter, he's shown all the capacity to become really quality. Like right now, his, his career three point percentage is around 37%. And he's taking more threes than the league average at higher percentages than the league average. He's drawing more fouls than the league average, even though his, three, his free throw shooting is quite poor. It's His free throw plus rate is 88, which means for his career, he is 88% average three point uh, free throw shooting. Not good. But his three and his mid-range, like he's taking like in the kind of 10 to 15 feet foot range, about 44% of his shots, 44%. That's excellent. From the corners, he's about 43%. Excellent. He's an excellent shooter. For like, well, I wasn't really ready for just how good he's going to be as a shooter. I think that's really the area of his game, almost, almost in the... Um, the kind of the clay, the Reggie, the Ray Allen, that might be, I think, his optimal version as a poorer shooting version of that because those guys are all 40% plus shooters. Jalen is not going to be that. He is closer to, you know, I think a 38% shooter. But with the athleticism, that allows him to also pop as a slasher. And I think that's where we need to see improvements come. I think he has to improve his off-ball ability because I don't see any real indicators that he's going to develop on-ball skills at the level someone like you'd hope Jason Tatum can develop on-ball, real on-ball skills. I don't think Jalen Brown's there. I think Jalen Brown needs to focus on his off-ball ability, and I think that's going to allow him to really pop on offense. On defense... His man defense is excellent. I think what really stuck out to me is off-ball defense. I think one thing I would like to see him work on is backline movement. For his size and strength, I don't think there's a reason why, you know, when um, the offense kind of finds a gap baseline and he, he has to rotate over, he's not great at that rotation. And at his size, strength, athleticism, he should be better. That's something I would like to see. That small area of his defense is somewhere I would really like to see his improvement, his backline rotations. And I would like to see him improve as an off-ball, his off-ball movement around screens. And as a slasher, obviously, he has all the skills. It's just timing those runs right. And I don't know if he's ever going to develop that feel for it because that's just kind of something like you look at someone like Michael Porter Jr. came into the game, he automatically had the feel as a slasher. Jalen Brown's probably, that probably is a bit too far, but I would like to see screen navigation, 
on offense and willingness to play that role off ball. And then, you know, he has the speed, he has the athleticism to, if the ball is whipped to him on a kind of, you know, left to right, then he can close out. That's kind of what I see his peak version as. I think, again, he is a sub-all-star level player right now, but I think he's closer to being an all-star level player. I think with these things, just a little bit of improvement on his defense, his off-ball defense, and a little bit of improvement in his exact role on offense, you know, like taking on a real off-ball destructive role on offense that I think his athletic ability and his underrated shooting can offer. He could become an all-star level player very quickly. I don't think his ceiling is too far beyond an all-star level player. I don't think he'll ever really challenge all-NBA because because his finishing is probably not going to add with playmaking to create too much more value. Maybe he'll make all-NBA teams, but I don't see him really ever feeling like a Clay Thompson role because he's not that level of a shooter. He doesn't have that level of movement. So I don't think he'll really scale that well as well as someone like Clay, but that's a very high watermark to reach. And Jalen Brown has the potential to be defensively better than someone like Clay. Clay also, I think, had a lot of the hallmarks of Brown where he's a very good on ball defender, but can get lost sometimes off ball. I think Brown could reach a level above that. And it's whether that would take him into an all NBA level. I don't think so, but I'm, Happy to say all-star ceiling for Jalen Brown. Next up, Jaron Jackson Jr. And this one is, again, quite straightforward. It's lower body. Improve his lower body. He's very skinny, but he has a clear route because defensively he can be absolutely destructive. He is bringing down his foul rate, and that's what you want to see. He is trending in the right direction. And by improving his lower body, it will give him more ability, more agility. And getting into the restricted area is going to be very important because Jaron Jackson Jr. really pops as a shooter, obviously at his size, at nearly seven foot, to be bordering on a career 39% three-point shooter so far is incredible. His free throw rate isn't amazing, and I would like to see that go up a little bit. And his ability um, in getting to the restricted area is not good. Right now, he takes uh, about 27.5% of his shots in the restricted area for his career. And his his between the restricted area and the end of the paint, that 3 to 10 foot range, about the same. So he needs to have the lower body strength to muscle his way once he gets into the paint to go that next step. That's what I want to see from Jaron Jackson Jr. Because like I say, his shooting is game-changing. I think keep improving it. It doesn't look pretty, but it goes in a hell of a lot. That's what you want to see, especially his above-the-break three-point shooting. His corner's surprisingly not great. His corner rate is about 33%. You'd expect it to be higher from a big man but he's actually an above the break shooter more than he is a corner shooter and that's something that is going to be a force multiplier on offense 
It's just lower body improvement to help his positioning on defense against big men and his agility and helping him on offense get into a restricted area and again, morification of his offense. Those shots that you're taking in three to 10 feet, you need to get into the restricted area. You need to do it. Next up, Bam Adebayo. Bam is already, I think, playing an all-star level. I think most people would agree. What he really needs to do, one thing I think will be a very obvious thing for him is reducing turnovers. He only really became that kind of mid to high post hub last year. So reducing turnovers should happen naturally. You would hope similar to someone like Ja Morant or Luka Doncic or Trey Young, these improvements efficiency-wise as a playmaker should happen as they get more reps over time. One thing I would love to see from Bam is his free throw shooting increase. I think that's a clear, tangible way for Bam to add a lot more value is as a free throw shooter. When you look at, he's right now, career-wise, about 70%. Last year was 69%. It was, I think, the low watermark for his career. I would like to see that go up. I would also, because his free throw rate is very good, he draws about double the free throws of an average player. Three-point shooting, forget it. He can't shoot threes. He's not good at shooting threes. I, I'm not focused on that he can't really shoot out any anywhere outside of about 10 feet he can't really shoot you know maybe he's getting a bit of a midi mid-range going maybe but I mean what 38 percent from the mid-range it's hardly what you want to build your offense around when he can score about 70 percent inside the restricted area and get there at will you just want to see him punishing teams when he's drawing those fouls, when he's getting to the line, when he is attacking the basket. Defensively, obviously, the improvements should come quite quickly because he he's already showing all-defensive level. Like He made the all-defensive team last year. There's no reason why he shouldn't be a perennial all-defensive candidate and maybe you know a, a defensive player of the year one day. He's going to be um, 23 come the end of this year. He is 23 now, but his, his birthday's in July, so you hope that he still has a lot of room left to grow. Right now, I see a ceiling. I'm not sure where to place it because of defensively, he's destructive. He has the potential to be really destructive. Offensively, he's an interesting case. It's kind of the Draymond Green where... He's kind of more athletic, but he's not going to be the playmaker Green is. But he's a more athletic player. He's better finishing, more efficient scoring. Probably not the range Draymond had at his peak. But so I really struggle to place him above all NBA level peak. I don't think I can really go above that. Like, because that's, I'm talking top 15 player. I don't think I can really go closer to a top 10 player because of those limitations on offense, though he is, he could definitely, he's definitely the type of player who could prove me wrong and be a top 10 player for years. But I see his peak closer to being an all NBA level player. 
Next, we've only got a few left, so we're going, we're doing really well. Next is Trey Young. Right now, again, I think he's quite clearly an all-star level player. And what it's really going to come down to, I think, for Trey is his off-ball movement. Because Trey is so on-ball right now. He is so heliocentric that he needs to develop more ways to attack and he needs to find a way to utilize the gravity he can draw as a shooter off ball obviously you'd hope more shooting will come he's a good shooter right now but he's it's hard to say because the indicators are there that he can be a great shooter he's a great free throw shooter he has, he's good shooting ac- across the floor but he takes high difficulty shots and he takes a lot of them so it's hard to really take out the noise and be like, right, he's going to be a all-time level. He's going to be, you know, for even just 40% plus shooter. It's hard to know what his level is. Obviously, he'll never be Steph. But I think he can incorporate more off-ball gravity as the threat, as teams understand his threat a lot more in terms of his shooting, as they get more tape on him, as they understand his tendencies, by expanding to work off ball, I think it's going to add to the offense. When you look at what Steph does as an off ball player, it's so destructive. Steph can create shots for other teammates just by screening, by just by making a, a slash into the basket or just around, like into the corner. He can open up so much space for his teammates. That's kind of what I see Trey developing and I think he has the chance to now as he has team players like Bogdan Bogdanovich on his team guys like Rondo on his team who also need the ball in their hands somewhat obviously Trey is still going to be the on-ball specialist that he is high-level scorer high-level playmaker but I think by incorporating more off-ball movement which I think is what Atlanta are looking to do he can become a truly elite offensive player. Like he might already be top 10, top 15 offensive player in the league already. That is definitely a possibility. Maybe I'm even underselling it there, but he could be top five, clear top five offensive player in the league. And, you know, the best offensive point guard in the league that is well within his wheelhouse going forward. It's just, will he do it? And then the elephant in the room is his defense. But if he can just be what Steve Nash was on defense, then that's that's a low bar to hit. I don't know, actually. I don't think Trey's going to hit that, honestly. I think he's going to be worse on defense than Nash was. And because of that, I put his ceiling around all NBA. Right now I say he's working at an all-star level through his offense. His offense is so destructive, maybe sub-all-star level just by how much he loses on defense right now. But I think he has all NBA ceiling, top 15 player ceiling, but without seeing just some signs of life on defense which I don't think are ever truly going to come or or he just takes some next leap on offense that I don't see coming which is entirely possible because he's so good on that end but I don't see him ever truly challenging as a top 10 player in the league 
though his numbers are going to be so gaudy, people are probably going to say he is, and he's probably going to occasionally get MVP buzz. But I don't think his impact is ever going to be at that level of a real top 10 destructive player in the league. And with that, there were three left. Making pretty good headway, considering by numbers episodes, these are universally above an hour of nerdy talk. This one's probably been a bit breakneck pace, but um, yeah, we've gotten through 20-odd young players and talked about ways they can improve what they are now, their ceilings. So let's, let's power through. We've only got three guys left. Next one, Devin Booker. Right now I see him playing at all-star level. Ways I think he can continue to maximize himself is through his off-ball movement, which is something I saw development from last year because the indicators are there for Devin Booker as a three-point shooter. I think it's the high level of difficulty, the high level of unassisted, off-the-bounce threes that are driving down his percentages. I don't see a reason why he shouldn't be in the high 30s or close to 40% as a shooter. I really do not see why that isn't the case. And I think getting Chris Paul and allowing Booker to continue to develop his off-ball ability is only going to help that. His scoring, his repertoire is incredible. I think maybe, same with some of these guys, I think the two things we really need to take out of this is young players need to improve lower body strength and they need to adopt a bit more Mori ball because I think a bit of morification of Devin Booker's offense is going to help a lot. Right now he takes about 46% of his shots between the restricted area and the three-point line. It's a little too high for my liking. I would like to see it go down to 30%. I do think the mid-range is valuable. I think what Harden has done erodes some value in the playoffs, and you need that robust offensive skill set. But taking half your shots in the least efficient areas of the floor, as much as it helps improve the efficiency of those key areas, it's not it's not what you want to see, honestly. And as good as he is, like in the real mid-range, like 15 feet, Booker is about a 44% shooter. That's good. That's good. But you would want to see, I would want, I would be so much more interested if he could be a career 38% three-point shooter than to take some pretty mid-range shots at 44%. I'd be so much more interested, even though last year his mid-range shooting is excellent, like 49%. The last two years, in fact, his 15-foot shooting is about 49%. That's incredible. That's wonderful. That's about the same as shooting 33% from three. This is why Mori Ball exists, because as incredible as it is to be a near 50% mid-range shooter, as, you know, Jordan-esque, Kawhi, Durant, Chris Paul, those kind of all-time mid-range shooters, as wonderful as it is to have that, as throwback, as nostalgic as that is, it's as valuable as being a 33% three-point shooter. Get up to 38%, Devin Booker improve your off-ball movement. And one thing I would say regarding that is he needs to, I think, work better off screens. He is intelligent, 
but that's an area I see him improving kind of organically. So it's not so much something that I think is this kind of clear, tangible, do this next year. It's one of those things that he is already doing somewhat, and the situation going into next year with Chris Paul means he will almost certainly do it more. But one where one place I think that Devin Booker can improve, and this is something I think defensively, because defensively I think Booker is poor. Shock. Devin Booker is a poor defender. But he's not Trey Young. He is not even James Harden. I think he tries a bit more than someone like James Harden does on that end, even if he's his physical tools, kind of James Harden is very big, he's strong, he has quick hands. I don't think Booker has those physical tools to be good on defense. Not the Harden is, but you know, Harden is a good post defender when he's taken into the post by poor post players. Which is part of I think where the numbers for Harden, just to go off tangent, the numbers for Harden really overstate his post defense. Because the players who are taking you into the post are not good post players. They are the type of players that, you know, mouse in the house against guys like James Harden. They think they can take advantage of him, but they can't. But it's not, you know, it's not Carl Anthony Towns. It's not Joel Embiid that are taking him into the post because they're being matched up by with much bigger people, obviously, because they're gigantic humans. That's not who Harden's defending. His defensive value, the kind of pushback narrative that Harden isn't actually a bad defender is nonsense. Harden is a bad defender. Booker is a bad defender. One place where Booker can improve that I would love to see him do, it's not a fix-all elixir for everything, but what it is is something that I think would give him a slight boost off the bat, and that is not to watch the ball at all. Like, just watch your man that you're guarding and watch for screening action around your man. But focus on him because he ball watches far too much and he gets lost far too much from his man. He gets unstuck from the guy he's meant to be guarding. He gets lost watching the ball, unsure where he's meant to be. And if it was that simple, everyone would be doing it. But that's something that I think is a focus in training that he could make that would see tangible benefits on defense is to just watch the man you're meant to be guarding because you are not quick enough to recover. You don't have the foot speed. You don't have the vertical pop to recover. You need to be guarding your man. That's where I think, Booker, it's not ever going to make him a good defender. It's not even going to make him an average defender, but I think it would take his... Um, defensive ability from piss poor to pretty bad I think and that's good enough because offensively he's showing jumps every year as a playmaker he's showing jumps I would like to see his turnover rate fall and again I would like to see his three-point shooting um, improve through off-ball off-ball shooting rather than difficult off-the-bound shots, maybe he'll get better at that, but that's something I would rather see from him because his three-point shooting is very erratic season to season. He has never... Here's a fun fact. Every 
three-point shooting season from Devin Booker has either been 2% better or 2% worse than the previous season. He's never been consistent from three. That's all I want to see, really, from Booker. I think he can do it. His corner three percentage, 38%, but he takes about a third of his shots off the bounce and difficult shots at that. That needs to change, and I think that's an easy way for him to remedy some of his shooting and efficiency worries and an easy way for him to really take the next step offensively. I mean, right now, I think he is playing at an all-star level, I think his peak is All-NBA, again, around top 15 player. Don't know if I can ever stretch as far as a top 10 player, but I could see him making multiple All-NBA teams in his career. Maybe never a first-team All-NBA or anything like that, but you know, multiple third-team All-NBA appearances, a second-team All-NBA appearance. I think that's well within the range of possibility for Devin Booker and that right now he's playing at an all-star level. The last two. The last two guys. First up, Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons, right now, I think is playing at an all-star level, and I think his ceiling is probably a weak MVP, like a, by weak MVP, I suppose I mean a top 10 player, a player that multiple years can get MVP buzz, though he may never actually have the full season where he would get an MVP or be strong enough to beat out better players for that title. Not that he couldn't, but that's kind of the range I see his peak in. Maybe that's me underselling his peak because defensively he is destructive, but I do think he suffers from what I'm going to call Jason Kidd syndrome in that Jason Kidd's offense is a bit overrated, I think, because he was such a non-scorer. Jason Kidd's playmaking, and Jason Kidd may well be one of the five best passers of the ball ever. That's, I think, a real possibility that Jason Kidd is that good as a passer. However, he could not pressure defenses with his scoring and with his size, we'll get to Simmons in a minute, but with his size, Kidd couldn't really pressure defences with his scoring. Because of that, it was to the detriment of his playmaking. Playmaking, I've said this on another pod, it's the combination, you pressure the defence with scoring, your scoring potency, which opens up opportunities to create plays for other teammates. If you can't do both, if you can't score at a good level, it hurts your passing ability. And if you can't, and again, it's it's a symbiotic relationship because if you can't pass at a high level and you're, it's going to be to the detriment of your scoring, you need to be balanced. Someone like Magic was an excellent scorer. Once he got into the basket, he was an excellent scorer. Jason Kidd has that. It's closer to, you know, Rondo, Ricky Rubio, that kind of archetype as a player. What I see from Simmons is kind of somewhere between what Kid was and what Magic was ultimately, because I don't think he's as good a passer as them, but he is he has the potential to be in that echelon, especially in transition. And I think if he can improve his scoring in the half court as well, I think he can be somewhere in that ballpark as a passer and his size. 
and fluidity as an athlete. I mean, he's much more athletic than someone like Magic, but I don't think he's as strong as someone like Magic. And he's bigger and more athletic than Jason Kidd, but he's probably not as cerebral as Jason Kidd because basically no one in NBA history has been, as a player, as smart as Jason Kidd was. That's, I mean, just look at interviews of his coaches. Like there was um, an open court, which is probably seen the open court TNT thing. Um, they got coaches to sit down and say, you know, who's the smartest player you've ever coached? And I think there was eight of them there. There was a range, you know, Doc Rivers, people like that. And to a man, the two answers they got back were Jason Kidd and Rajon Rondo. And generally, if they'd coached both of them, the answer was Jason Kidd. So it's pretty likely that he's, certainly in recent times, the most cerebral NBA player there's been. I don't think kids. I don't think um, Ben Simmons is ever going to be that level. So how can Ben Simmons become a better player? Basically, get stronger, upper body, build more of a Giannis frame. Because right now we talk about Simmons being, you know, a Giannis light, a kind of baby Magic Giannis light. The problem is if you look at Magic back when he was playing. Magic's upper body is huge. Magic is stacked. He he is so strong. And that's something that really stuck out to me doing um, Magic as kind of researching him historically is you see his upper body and you suddenly, he's got his big, broad shoulders, this barrel chest, and you see why he scored at will because he could just get into the paint at will. And someone like Giannis, obviously... Obviously, Giannis can do that. That's what I would like to see from Ben Simmons. I would like to see, because right now he's a very fluid, smooth athlete. I would like to see a more of a power game from him by increasing his muscle mass, because that is going to unlock so much more from Simmons. And again, can't really say get out from playing with Joel Embiid. But those two, I don't think they can play together. I will bang that drum until it eventually happens that they are no longer playing together. I do not think they can play together. I'm not interested in Simmons adding a three-point shot. I'm interested in the fact that Simmons takes about 94% of his shots inside 10 feet and only 64% of them are in the restricted area. That needs to be 75 plus percent of his shots in the restricted area because he's very good. He's a 72% shooter inside the restricted area. If he gets stronger, that can improve. And that's what I would be looking for. I don't care about his three-point shooting. All I want to see is him get stronger and for his free throw percentage to improve. Because right now, it's been trending in the right direction, which I think is a bit of an underplayed part that his first season... He was a 56% free throw shooter, firmly entrenched in hacker shack territory. Second year, he becomes a 60%, which is on the borderline of hacker shack. And in his third year, he becomes 62% free throw shooter. Now we are starting to escape the hacker shack territory. I would like to see him get to at least 65% or 67% as a free throw shooter. That is the target. I say don't don't worry about taking the threes, Ben. Take a thousand free throws a day. Become a 
just just hit two thirds of them. If you can hit two thirds of your free throws, you're going to unlock so much more to your game. If you just get into the gym, get on, you know, 5000 calorie diet for the summer per day, get in the gym, really build up that muscle mass, upper body similar to Giannis. I don't think he's ever going to be the athlete that Giannis is, but Giannis will never have the vision, playmaking or ball handling that Ben Simmons was blessed with. So there's a trade-off there, and that's, I think, the only way he can really approach that level. I think with that, with those improvements and that kind of focus, I think Ben Simmons can become a weak MVP, a clear, clear top 10 player, and challenge for, you know, like I said, challenge for MVPs some years, be a top 10 player, be, you know, where someone like Dame is now somewhere like Jokic is now where you are clearly one of the best players in the league you are clearly a player a championship team can be built around where you are the best player that's the peak I think for Simmons now we've reached the final one and obviously the youngest player on this list only 17 that is of course Jason Tatum Six foot ten. By the time I finish recording this, he's probably going to be seven foot. Jason Tatum. What can Jason Tatum do to become better than the goat level player he already is? Well, basically, if you listen to the last overstated NBA show episode, you know what I think he needs to do. He needs to not have Kemba Walker play. I think he needs to take on more on-ball responsibilities because when Jason Tatum is on ball there is a lot there with Jason Tatum I really do think that there's something next level about what he could become because what he flashes in terms of pick and roll reads already is like the way I would describe it is I wouldn't be shocked if next year he is already where Kawhi is as a playmaker. Now, Kawhi is not an outstanding playmaker, but he's become a good one for the level of scorer that he is. I think Tatum can get to what Kawhi is now next year, and that is years ahead of him developmentally, ahead of Kawhi. Obviously, he'll never be the defender that Kawhi is, we don't think. I don't think he can be. I'm just saying, like, Tatum is pretty destructive as a defender. But I do think as a playmaker, the growth can be there. He needs to play in pick and rolls. You need to force that with him, force the issue, because he could be what Durant, peak Durant was. As I said, real like five assists per game are a real possibility next year. And at his peak, maybe closer to six assists per game, a strong playmaking high volume scoring wing like above 26 27 points on high efficiency as a great outside shooter this is all in the potential for Jason Tatum it's just get him on ball apart from that it's muscle mass again with a lot of these guys young guys it's morify your game add muscle mass to your lower body and in some cases to your upper body as well, if you need to play a more power game. But lower body strength is always a good thing. Core strength is always a good thing, and it's always the clearest path to becoming a more um, impactful 
NBA player. That's what I see in Jason Tatum's future. That's why, because I've probably been a bit lower. Like when people were exploding, saying they would take Tatum over um, Luca, say when he was having that Player of the Month breakout, where he suddenly jumped ahead of Giannis. You know, he was, he was shooting like fifty percent from three, scoring thirty points a game in the month of March, I think it was, or February. Can't remember now. It was ten years ago. 10 months ago, 10 years ago, same thing right now. But he was scoring incredibly well. People were really hyping. They were jumping on that train for Tatum. I was a bit lower on him, but I do think his ceiling, right now he's a probably a strong all-star. I would say a top 20 player, maybe bordering on a top 15 player, based on his body of work from last season. That's where I would place him. But if what he did in the bubble and what he did in that month are indicators and they can, if Brad Stevens can see what he has in Tatum as this kind of, in the same mold of a Kawhi or a Kevin Durant, he, I think Tatum is in that mold as a player. Slightly different variations because all these guys are super high level players and they all have their own nuances that make them special. But right now I see him borderline top 15 player I see his peak as maybe even a top five player like I see his peak as an MVP the only other guys I've said that about so far are Zion and Luca in this and that's the tier I see Tatum in all it is next year is the playing him on ball which I think is more a factor of environment without Kemba there I don't think that's really an improvement from him. It's about consolidating the improvements that he's shown and pushing a little bit more in those directions. As a defender, he's wonderful. His vision as a defender, his playmaking as a defender, off-ball especially, is outstanding, I think. I think he has real all-defensive, not defensive player of the year potential, but real kind of perennial all-defensive player wing in his wheelhouse as a scorer he has the potential to become a top level scorer in the league he has the potential to become a really high level wing playmaker like i say that that durant type of role where durant for several years was getting above five assists per game i think tatum has that potential as well as a good high level playmaking scoring wing defending superstar so right now top 15 is a bit too far for me just based on the body of work he had last year though at his peak definitely a top 15 player but i do see his peak peak as potentially top five player an mvp candidate and you know hall of fame ultimately that's that kind of trajectory so those were the, I think, three big ones, Luca, Tatum, Zion. I think most people can see that and what jumps they can take. But if there are th things for us to take away from this whole exercise, it is morify your offensive game because there's a reason why Mori Ball has taken over. I'm not a proponent of don't shoot mid-rangers, I've stuck around this kind of 25 to 35% of your shots 
should come in that range to have a robust skill set. But if you're taking closer to 50% of your shots in that range, lower it. Take 10% off, and that 10% change could see that that might be an extra point you're leaving on the table. That might be an extra two points you're leaving on the table. Add the free throws, it might be closer to three or four points players are leaving on the table every game by not maximizing that kind of offensive efficiency and then it's body transformation it's lower body strength it's core strength and in some cases with a power game it's upper body strength those are the key tangible easy ways that players can improve their ability then it's you know mid-range take a step back shoot those mid-rangers from behind the line if you have that range a mid-range ability you should be able to transfer some of it a couple steps back hopefully that should come in you know a few a couple years of practice um free throw shooting is fundamental that's you need to be shooting 60 plus 70 percent from the free throw the free throw line and that's what it comes down to. That's where most improvements get made beyond, like I said, some of these guys will prove me wrong. I just talked about 21 players. Two of these guys surely will make a jump this year that is totally outside of what I can predict. They will just add something and make me look stupid, which is wonderful. I think a few of these guys will regress and never reach the level that I've penciled them in at which is, again, to be expected because it's very difficult. This is a lot of hard work. But we'll see. We'll come back to this at some point after the year. Was I right? Was I wrong about some of these guys? Do I change what I think their prediction is? Have they blown through the ceiling I've done for them right now? We'll see. But that'll do it for this episode of By the Numbers. Thank you for tuning in. Have a wonderful week. Come join us on facebook come join the discussion subscribe like the episodes go back and listen we have a huge back catalogue and there are some big things in the works going forward so stay tuned bye bye